This is Joe Basso for Music Radar, the place for music makers, and I'm speaking with Duff McKagan, bassist for Velvet Revolver, leader of the band Loaded, ex-bassist with Guns N' Roses, Renaissance Man. Uh, is there anything else I'm leaving out? Yeah, uh, kickboxer. Kickboxer. Well, you know, aspiring kickboxer, I suppose. And and writer for the Seattle Weekly. That's right. Uh, you write a very good column, I must say. Yeah, I saw I saw something. Um, God, what, oh, it was on ESPN. I did a a live chat on ESPN last week mm-hmm. because of a column I'd written, and it, and at the top of ESPN it said rocker backslash blogger Duff McKagan. Oh. First time I'd ever been a, you know, referred to as a blogger. A rocker blogger. Rocker backslash blogger. Yeah. Wow, that's a that's a new term I think they coined. Yeah. And just for you. Yeah, yeah. I guess we should open up first with Velvet Revolver and your search for a new lead singer. How's things stand right now? This is a tough one to to really talk about because we wrote a bunch of great material. Things were going so amazing for us, even maybe because of the adversity at the end with Scott. The remaining four of us really came together, and we were really gelling on stage. You know, even with Scott going the direction he was going, we were really, we really started to gel probably better than we ever had on stage. And we got off the road, and we'd, we'd let Scott go, and uh, we went in and wrote a bunch of material. And we thought, really, we'd get a singer right away. We just kind of thought, it's, it's not going to be tough. Right. And we, we worked with Royston. Yes. Um, Langdon from Space Hog. We really had high hopes for him, and he is a great singer and a great guy. So he just didn't, it wasn't the right thing for us, alas. You know, about three weeks into it, four weeks into it, working with him, we really uh, could see that, you know, there's just a couple of things that didn't fit, and no fault of his, no fault of ours. So we were back to the drawing boards, and there's been a, a ton of singers. A few people have been bantered about. Lenny Kravitz, uh, I mean, were any of the people that, other than Royston, that we read about, were any of those realities? No, not even close. Lenny was, I mean, I read about it when when everybody else did, that he was in our band. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So that was just a, really a blatant uh, rumor from, started from who knows where. The fact of the matter is, we don't have a singer. At some point, we, we hope to. I think we've all realized that we don't need to rush this thing. We need the right singer. Our singer's got to be great. He can't just be good. And we, we've had a lot of really good singers send us MP3s and uh, through our management and wherever we get them from. Really, really good guys, but not the the great guy for our band. I spoke with Matt Sorum yeah. over the summer. It doesn't seem like there's a lot of love lost between him and, and Scott. Did you <laughs> did you have real personality clashes with Scott? I mean, was he really was there that much animosity between Scott and the rest of the members? Not so much with me. I've just come to realize, and maybe it's because of my age and and how long I've been going through this band sort of situation. Uh, being in a band is is really tough. It's it, it is like being married to you know four other guys. Sure. In our case. There's emotion in it because you're you're creating art together, and it's probably I said this before. It's you know it's the closest you get to a uh, that a heterosexual male will get to another heterosexual <laughs> male emotionally because you're sharing you're writing songs together and you're yeah. playing on stage together and it's and then you're you're living together 
Yeah. You're on the road together. You're, you're eating together. You've got to deal with business decisions together. Then, you know, then you have also have your own, with my case, I have a wife and two kids and, and a home life and actually a whole other life that I've created for myself. Sure. And, and maybe because I have created another life, going back to school, um, practicing martial arts, I have another band that I created when I, when I moved back to Seattle and kind of sort of kept together. We would play, and I had this basis of other guys that I really loved playing with and definitely not taking anything away from Velvet Revolver. But when Scott started to, to go south, is my point to all of this, I could see that it was irretrievable. Mm-hmm. I didn't take it personally. I, I realized at that point that this indeed is life. It, and not just in rock music, it's, it's just life. You know, any business you're in, there, this can happen. And whether it's drugs and alcohol or, you know, somebody in a, in a, in a, at your workplace finds a better job, part of your team, man, part of your makeup. So you've got to move on and, and, and adapt. And, and was, that's all I look at this as. Was Scott just pulling away from you guys and wanted to go in another direction? Was he behaving like a diva? You know, if there's any one thing you can point it to, really. Oh, oh well, the one thing is drugs. Oh, I, I didn't think that was really a secret. No, it was it was a uh, you know diva stuff and all that. I can I can handle. I I get it. But it's his his drug use. It doesn't. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Obviously, you've been down this road personally and with other bandmates, and he's been in in and out of rehab. Is somebody close to him really trying to sit him down and get him straightened out? No. No. He doesn't have that, and that was that was really uh, the people around him. They don't really care about that. They want to keep him out there. Because the pictures I've seen of him on stage this summer with Stuntable Pilots, he didn't look well. Yeah, and that and that's too bad. But but Joe, you know the thing is, if you really want to change whatever situation you're in, you've got to do it yourself. And as you grow up and become an adult. And a man, you you, uh, you really realize that that nobody's going to do it for you, uh, especially in the music business. You managers and et cetera, et cetera, say they care for you, and, and but hey, man, they're they're out to make a buck. Sure, they they'd probably rather see you sober and yeah. more functionable, but they're not going to go the extra mile. I think myself, I've gone the extra mile for Scott a couple times, you know, and I realize now. If somebody's not going to come back and respond to what you're trying to do, you can't keep trying. Or it, sure. not with me, I, I, I'm a sober guy. It's it's not good for my sobriety to keep on trying to help somebody and there's no no response. At at this point, with the lead singers, do you feel like you have to give them a, a sanity test first? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't really care about the uh, the sanity or the vanity. I get the craziness, and, and and a little bit of it's great. You know, you don't want some homogeneous dude. And there, there is a lot of homogeneous white rock out there, <laughs> which I don't think is, you know, doesn't move me at all. Right. I like a little craziness, and, and I grew up playing punk rock, and which was, you know, back in the day, was really about pure adrenaline and, and emotion, and there was a lot of characters in there, and it made it great. 
Let me talk to you about that. Your pre-Guns N' Roses days, your favorite bass players, your heroes, who really influenced you as a player? Yeah, you would have to really be a, a early punk rockophile to, to, to know stuff I did. Uh, but it was such a small scene back in 79, 80, right. 81, you know, 79 through 83. And all, all of us knew everybody else. And there was little fanzines and there'd be compilation records that, you know, a band from Seattle, a band from Minneapolis, a band from Dayton, Ohio, a band from L.A., you know, we would all be on the same record. But I was in a band, I, I grew up in a, in a uh, musical family. There was instruments around the, the house. Uh, so by the time I was six and seven and eight, I was pounding on drums to keep in time. Right. Because I had to, you know, for family jam sessions or whatever. And I, I was hearing great music, my older brothers and sisters, music, which was James Gang, Sly and the Family Stone, Led Zeppelin, The Beatles, Rolling Stone, whatever. All, all the classic stuff. Great, great stuff. Um, so I, I understood what time was. Uh, my brother, one of my older brothers showed me a G chord, and an A chord, and a D chord. All right, and an E chord. Okay, well, my fingers didn't quite fit on there, but I just kept kind of playing, and I thought, well, the guitar's not going to be... And, and he showed me how to play the birthday song, the Beatles song, on the bass. Now, I played all left-handed because he was left-handed, and I'm, I actually write left-handed. Okay. So there was left-handed guitars at the house. So that's how I started playing. And my fingers just really didn't work too well on it. the strings. And now I started to grow into it, and by the time I was in the eighth grade, I started playing with some other guys at school, just jamming. We played Led Zeppelin songs and whatever. And you were playing bass? We'd play them all wrong. And you were playing bass at this point? I was playing bass, I was playing guitar, and I was playing drums. Oh, okay. I didn't really have a direction. I just liked playing all three. Punk rock in Seattle hit. Um, Seattle's a very cultural city. I think punk rock was one of the earlier cities like New York to, to get um, like a punk rock record store and a, a club. And uh, So I saw this punk rock guy walking down our, our, the street of our, our, uh, where I lived. This guy with a mohawk, a pink mohawk. <laughs> And I and I talked to him. I was like, "Wow, dude! So what? Where do you, what do you do? Where do you, you know, what what kind of music should I, what record should I get?" And he took me to this record store. He showed me like, "Check this out! Check this out!" He goes, "What do you play?" And I said, "Well, I play everything." He goes, well, "Let's start a band." And so we started a band. It was called The Veins, mm -hmm. and we put out a single. We our first gig was opening for an early uh, version of Black Flag. It was it was amazing first gig for us, and we started playing gigs, and I, that was '79, and I guess I was about 13 or 14, and it was just great. And I, so I was playing bass in that band, uh, the Fastbacks, which were a, a band that lasted about 25 years, 20 years, out of Seattle. Um, I was their first drummer. They asked me to play drums, and the first song I learned to play on drums was "Baby Blue" by B Badfinger. Oh, great song. Yeah. All of a sudden, okay, well, I'm a drummer. They had a drum <laughs> kit for me. You know, pretty good Pearl drum kit. Then another band, I started playing guitar in another band. So I, I kind of played, I was playing in three bands at one time, all the time. So now it's, now it's, it's about 1984, and I'm left with a choice. The, the recession had hit the U.S. at that point, mm -hmm. and it, it hit the Northwest, I think the hardest, because of the port city. And, all the clubs closed down. 
it was kind of the time to shit or get off the pot for me. And a friend of mine said, hey, man, you better get out of here. You're, you're the one guy that has any hope of doing something in music. And I, I really, I heard him, you know, and I had about $350 in my bank account. I quit my job and I moved down to Hollywood. And that was, you know, when I met Slash and, and Steven. And, and then, you know, within a month or month and a half, Izzy moved across the street from me in Hollywood, and the rest, as they say, is history. Now, when you moved to L.A. and hooked up with them, and you come from a punk rock background, the music that Guns N' Roses made, while it had some punk elements, it certainly wasn't a punk band. So did you feel that you meshed with these guys pretty well? Yeah, I, it, punk rock had been dead since, since 1982. I'm a, I'm a punk rock purist. Right. But I didn't just listen to punk rock. You know, I grew up in the, with this really rich musical history. And the thing about punk rock kids and people, they were the hippest on all the new music. You know, when ACDC was a new band and, and all, like, the, the rest of the country thought they were punk rockers, you know? The, the punk rockers were like, this is the greatest band ever. And Rose Tattoo and, you know, Cheap Trick was always a big band and uh, Motorhead, as well as The Clash. So by the time I moved to, to L.A., I think music, there was a first wave of sort of metal, like Quiet Right down here, yeah, and yeah. those type of things, that was was dead. And there was an air of excitement in, in Hollywood. Like, what's going to be next? And when the five of us in Guns N' Roses met and played our first few chords in, this, in the same you know, room, we knew that we had something that was different, and um, we didn't know... You know, we didn't have any ambition of being the biggest band in the world, but we knew musically that we could make a difference, and that that's what was really important to us. Let me ask you about your working relationship with Slash. I mean, obviously you guys have formed a tight bond, personally and musically. How did you guys mesh so well? Did, when you met, did you know that you guys had something that was going to work together? We just struck it off well. We were 19 and 20 years old. i got to be honest. We were just five guys trying to survive. Uh, I got along great with Slash, but I got along great with everybody in the band. We were tight, man. We were like a, a, a little family. All we had in L.A. was each other. But we just kind of took it day by day and, and worked on songwriting and paid attention to every little part in a song. And we wanted the transition from this verse to that chorus to be perfect and not just sort of a, an afterthought. Obviously, it's a, a hindsight kind of question, but did you have any inkling when you started working with Slash, wow, this guy could be a guitar hero, like really, this guy has something? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was always good. He was an old soul blues player in a 19-year-old's body. So he was, yeah, there's, there's certain guys that are just good. At, you know, he found the thing that he was supposed to be doing. Right. And that was playing six-string guitar. He's naturally gifted at it. He works his ass off at it, you know. And so the combination of those two things—he's he's the real—he's the real article. How would you describe your working relationship through the years as it's changed? How has it changed? There's still that the old thing. We we never talk about music. Never have. We don't talk about the song that we're writing. We don't say, we don't talk in terms of chords. Hey man, let's try to go try to go to the four chord here or any you know nothing nothing like that when guns and roses was clicking musically 
how fast did it click? I got to say, Guns N' Roses always clicked musically, even when the things got out of hand and the band became super huge and it brought all the other kind of managers and assistants and employees and such and such into it or became a machine. We still clicked musically. You know, some people might say, well, Use Your Illusions was, I, I've heard, you know, people say there was filler on there or that it was disjointed or, or what have you. But th I think that just, it proves, on Use Your Illusions, it proves one point in that none of us would stop another one's idea. Right. If you had an idea, we would play it to its fruition. We would see it through and we would back it. It's interesting you say that because the perception is by the time of the Use Your Illusion albums was that Axel was really calling the shots and driving the band. Yeah, I mean, it, it just really wasn't like that. We were still a band. We, you know, I think what, what really changed Illusions more than anything else is that by the time we started recording that and writing for that, I guess, we started to see money. Right. And none of us had any experience with money or how it affects you. You can't, we didn't have, we didn't go to therapists or, you know, anything like that to kind of sort out what was going on in our lives at the time. We were just, things were happening fast. And we all had our own houses, cars. We started having these, these other lives, you know, girlfriends and, you know, like steady girlfriends and, and really, you know, we had we had a lot of hangers on. Through all that, we, we were able to accomplish all of that writing. Before we get on to some reader questions, one last thing. You know, there's this record coming out soon. You might have heard something about it. Uh, people are start, just starting to talk about it now. I think it's called Chinese Democracy. Yeah. Yeah. Have you, have you heard yeah. about this? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well. I've heard about it for years. Have you actually heard the record? No. I heard a um, song from Rock Band. Okay. I don't know the name of it. Um, I just heard it once. Shackler's Revenge. Yeah. And, and that's all I've heard. Talk about a record that is just weighted in anticipation. What are your thoughts about this record? I mean, I, I'm glad if, it, if it's finally coming out. I'm glad for Axel, but probably that pressure's off him. I'm glad he's able to let the music go he is a perfectionist man I, there, there's there's guys that are there's people that yeah. are just perfectionists and I mean, they can't let a single note anybody hear a single note unless it's you know perfect you know some musicians will play everybody their demo in in in, in the band and go you know with all the mistakes and they don't care because they know that everybody else has got the vision to to hear so I take Axel's, it. you know, a different. He's a different breed, and, and uh, he's just—he's a musician, man, and he's a—he's a caring guy. I, you know, I've always known to be a good guy and a caring guy, and I'm—I'm I'm glad he's—he's he's able to finally get this thing out. But uh, beyond that, musically and and all that, I don't really have thoughts, or it's not my band. It's—it would be like me having thoughts on a new Tool record, you know, or something. I wouldn't have much, many thoughts. If it's good, kick butt. I hope I get something out of it. And if it's not, it probably wouldn't even come into my radar. I take it that the two of you don't speak? Unfortunately, we don't, yeah. Having worked with him 
back in the day, was there any inkling that it would take him this long to complete an album? I mean, this is quite excessive. I mean, there was no inkling that the, to me that the band would really... Well, no, I started having inklings, like in the Illusions tour, that the band was on its demise. I guess I probably didn't have an inkling that anybody would you know, take the name Guns N' Roses and, and move on with the name. That was a little unnerving to me. Right. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a name that I helped create and, and give, it, give it wind and the, the sale of that, that name. But I'm, I've been over that for a good 10 years. People would ask me questions about Chinese democracies. I'm starting back in like 99, 98 even. <laughs> and I'd say, I, I, don't, I have no idea. You, you know, people are asking me the questions probably know more about that record than... I, I'm not probably. I'm sure they do know more about the record or the, the track listing and who's <laughs> been on the record. I have no idea who's even on the record. So when it finally comes out, are you going to give your free can of Dr. Pepper to Slash? Uh, <laughs> I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really not hip on, <laughs> on, on what, what's going on with the Dr. Pepper thing. and uh, I don't get all the good juicy stuff. We do have some reader questions now. Great. A reader by the name of Lola99 is totally blown away by your band Loaded, and she wants to know if you ever see a day where Loaded becomes a full-time project for you. Well, it's kind of been, uh, well, I don't know, full-time, but we, we just went out and toured on this EP that we put out. That's we, right. we put out an EP to sort of say, here, it, it's it's some songs for the, from this forthcoming re- record we have coming out on Century Media. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got in uh, somewhere back, we, we've always played every, every Christmas, we've played some sort of charity show or, up in Seattle. And this last Christmas, I was going through, you know, I think Japan and Australia just got canceled because of semantics with uh, the singer and uh, of the, a belt revolver. Right. We played a gig, and we had been writing songs over these years, and after the gig, it was like, you know, we should make a new record. My tour's going to be over in April. Everybody was into it, and why not? And we got into the studio up in Seattle in about June, and it was one of those magical times when all those, those notes and those parts of songs mm-hmm. that you hear in your head happened on tape. Loaded is something we all keep the fun around. Uh, I think it's a re- release valve for all of us in, in the band from our, from our lives. So it was like, okay, well, hey man, let's go, we all talked, let's go tour, let's go play the UK. We never played the UK. Well, wait, okay, well, let's get the record out before that. Well, you, you know, it was, now, now it's July. We can't get the record out in, in a month and a half. Right. So we put out this EP, um, Century Media, we did a deal with them, and they put out the EP in well, it sold out. It was amazing. Put out, I think, seven or ten thousand copies, which in this in this economy, oh, without any advertising, no, that's it's pretty killer. That's that's saying something. I was I was really stunned. So we did this, this tour of um, we played Spain and we played Italy and we played the UK and we played Ireland. We played just about every night. The places were were full, and people were into it. And the and the band is a really fun band. Thing is, I'm I'm the singer for the ba- in in the band, and I've never considered myself, or you know, I'm not a trained singer, I, but I sing from the heart, and, it, and I think finally after singing this long for 10 years as a lead singer, I might be finding my stride, and, and it feels really good. It feels really comfortable. After I finally realized that this last summer when Lodo was playing some gigs, 
after playing all of these years that I think all of these years I've been trying to convince a crowd that you know, they were good. Whatever band, with Guns N' Roses or Velvet Revolver <laughs> or Neurotic Outsiders or whatever. I think every musician has that in the back of their head. You're leading me into a, another reader question. A reader by the name of Duff Fan GNR VR asks, oh. yeah, that's a long one, asks, yeah. would you ever consider taking over lead vocals for Velvet Revolver? Um, people have suggested that. I don't think... I don't think my voice is big enough to really compete with Slash and Matt and, and even my bass playing. And I think Velvet Revolver is more of a band where you need, you need a singer that's not hindered by a, a guitar in front of them. You need somebody who's flailing around. The front man, per se. A front, yeah, a proper singer without a guitar on or a, a bass on or whatever. A reader by the name of the Dude Five wants to know: Do you have any specific warm-up exercises that you do, either at home or before a show? And I guess he means on the bass. On the bass, yeah, yeah. I uh, I actually started taking bass lessons uh, about a year ago. Really? Uh, yeah, I, out of nowhere, I I really got re-inspired as a bassist, and um, I I was listening to a lot of Duck Dunn. Oh wow! Some of the older stuff just getting back to the, the roots of where modern rock came from. Jamerson and, and Duck oh, Dunn, yeah. you know, it all stems from them. And great moving bass parts. Great, brilliant. You know, and you can, you know, if you listen to them, then obviously you see John Paul Jones, okay, well, he's a Jamerson guy, you know, and, and uh, uh, but it, it kind of all comes, modern rock bass playing. I think it's been dumbed down since then, uh, unfortunately. I, I would encourage any but inspiring, aspiring uh, bass player to listen to any Booker T and the MGs stuff, and and definitely Jamie Jamerson Motown. Go in order so you understand where it's coming from, because I think that that really. And then listen to what uh, McCartney did with it, and listen to John Paul Jones did with it. Yeah, I, I was really kind of just studying bass players and getting really inspired to become better at my craft, and started taking some lessons from. Reggie Hamilton here in, in L.A. is a session mm -hmm. guy. He, he's amazing. And he really showed me some, some killer things to, to do warm-ups with, some great techniques and stuff. So I, I warm up like I've never warmed up before. I, I, I play scales all the way up the neck. I do um, a finger-stretching exercises before, between my, my, more my index and my middle finger. Okay. And my middle finger and my ring finger. So I play ascending and descending scales with just those three fingers. Just some sort of like finger twister riffs that I make up that just make you make, that helps your dexterity. Has Slash commented that he's noticed a difference in your playing? I think, yeah, Matt and Slash both been into I'm playing with my fingers for the first time in my life. Oh, wow. Yeah. And that's really what I, with my bass lessons, what I was trying to accomplish. Like, you know, get acquainted with playing with my, my fingers on my right hand. A reader by the name of Space Kid wants to know if there's ever going to be a Neurotic Outsiders reunion concert. Uh, I hope so. We, we played one, we played three songs at a charity gig here in Hollywood about two, two years ago, I guess, two and a half years ago. And uh, it, it was great. You know, we played three songs and I think we all wish we would have played a whole set. So, so one day, I mean, I, I, Steve Jones is one of my idols, just guitar idol and the way that he, he rolls and, and wrote songs and, and everything. 
and John Taylor's a great bass player, and you know, of course, Matt Swarm. A reader by the name of Mean Venus J wants to know how <laughs> wants to know how he can apply for the lead singer gig in Velvet Revolver. That's a good question. I think you just contact Rick Canny at Sanctuary Management here in L.A. Okay. Well, Duff, it's been great speaking with you. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's been great. This is Joe Basso for Music Radar, the place for music makers, and I've been speaking with Duff McKagan. Again, Duff, thank you very much for spending so much time with me. It's been great. It's been great, Joe. Thanks a lot. Thank you very much. Take care now. Okay, you too. All right, bye-bye. Bye.